What does Hasidah say about addiction? That's the question for this week. Uh, now, to be honest, I have a compulsive need to separate medicine from Taira and from Avoida, which means that whenever people correlate ideas that are found in Sifri Musa or Sifri Hasidis in psychology, I, I recoil. It bothers me. I have like a, a friend of mine would call it an allergy to it. And the reason is because I think that psychotherapy, like physiological illness, deals with a person who's compromised, who's sick. Now, Taita teaches us how to be healthy. Obviously, a part of Taita's teaching us how to be healthy is to deal with illness, but Taita is not illness-focused. Taita is health-focused, which means a person has a problem. Sometimes that problem can be solved by being a yid, by learning Hasidus, by living with Hasidus teaches, by adopting its principles. If one does that, what they're essentially doing is not dealing with the illness directly, but rather dealing with health, and the illness resolves itself. Like the, you know, the old adage that there's two ways to heal a person. One is, a person has an illness in a certain part of his body, you focus on that particular aspect of themselves and you heal it. In other words, you strengthen the whole person and the body heals. The, the overlap between Hasidus and Musr and psychotherapeutic medicine, in my mind, is limited to that. Because Yiddishkeit Toiro, Avodis Hashem, has a health paradigm. Meaning to say, we're assuming that you're healthy, we're teaching you why you're alive, not how to become healthy from the illnesses of life. And we're alive to serve Hashem, we're alive to fulfill our purpose, and uh, we're alive to maximize what the human being was made to be, which is a creature in the image of God Almighty, which means our lives should be godly to the extent we're capable of being in the image of God, which from a practical point of view means actually balanced. Not one or the other extreme, but perfectly balanced, which is something which is very difficult to achieve. And the word that would be correctly applicable for this would be depth. So I, I don't like ever to compare what Hasidus says about Avodah Hashem and questions the way they are addressed in medicine. And again, I'll just repeat the statement because Yiddishkeit, of course it deals with people who aren't perfect, but it's teaching them how to live, how to be healthy. And in some cases, that helps remedy, heal illness. Psychotherapy doesn't deal with healthy people. If a person is healthy, they don't need a psychologist or psychiatrist. They need to live. Now, everybody's got something, right? Everybody has things that take us away from balance and centeredness and health and uh, self-esteem. So if we need to, or if we choose to, we get help to deal with those issues. Um, the help that we get in that area is called medicine. Medicine means something wrong if I need to fix it. And they're very separate. Having said that, I want to answer this question. What's the, what does Hasidus say about addiction? <sighs> um, 
I'm not an expert on addiction. I'm not an expert on Hasidus. I know a little Hasidus. But what I understand addiction to be is a human being who has a bad behavior that for a variety of reasons or causes, they've lost control over that behavior. And they've lost control over that behavior to the extent that they are labeled ill, sick. Now, of course, one of the aspects of sickness is that they're not fully at fault. They don't have full control of their faculties. And another aspect of that sickness is that they're not able to help themselves. They need uh, external intervention to be able to manage their addiction. And in some cases, people can conquer their addiction. In some cases, I think in most cases, an addict never conquers his addiction. He just manages it. He just controls it for the remainder of his life, which could be 60 years, it could be 80 years, it could be 100 years. That's how I understand the nature of addiction. Now, how does that play out in Hasidus? So, th so this is my opinion. My opinion is that you have in Tanya, in chapter 11 of Yigeras HaTshuva, and you also have it in chapter 29 of Sefer Shalbeinanim, Lukot Yabodim Sefer Shalbeinanim, the first section of Tanya, the idea of a chatasin egdi summit, which means literally my sin is opposite me all the time. The connotations of these words, the chatasin egdi summit, my sin is opposite me all the time, is dual. On the one hand, it means that a person is not supposed to be preoccupied with sin. A person is not supposed to always think that there's something wrong with them. I'm bad. Like the Altarebbe writes at length, the person did something wrong, they did shuva. Part of the truth is to believe that God forgives and you have to forgive yourself. If you cannot believe that Hashem forgave, so besides for the sin that you've already committed, you have a sin of a lack of faith. So the meaning of a chatasi negdi summit means merochik, at a distance. It's not in the foreground of my awareness, it's in the background of my awareness. So this is a very positive aspect of the statement, the chatasi negdi summit. I don't see myself as a sinner. I've sinned in the past. It's in my background it's in my subconscious it's it's someplace in my uh, what's the word peripheral vision but it's not in the center of my focus then there's the other side the other side is why why must I keep the sins of my past in my peripheral vision and the answer in short is because once a person has tasted sin they're vulnerable to repeat it and the Khatasi summit means that once I've been involved in a negative behavior I have an obligation to be more weary of that negative behavior than somebody else. And that's the other side of this Pasuk. I always remember the areas in my life that I'm weak at. And the areas in my life that I'm weak at usually means that in the past I've acted out. So I have to be very careful not to fall back into that trap. So that's the other side of that coin. You know, that's a very, and, and to me, that's a very basic part of the principle of the 12-step program. Once a sinner, always a sinner. Once an addict, always an addict. And that's what the other side of the coin of this Pasuk. I never ever forget about my sin because I never ever say to myself, I'm done with it. I always have to be cognizant that I have a weakness and I'm never ever to allow myself to become comfortable with that weakness. Now, first of all, to give you a Talmudic source for this, um, this is what the Gemara says about a Nazir, about a Nazarite. That the Chazal say, If you've seen other people who have been adversely affected by abuse of alcohol, 
you should stay away from alcohol. A person who is himself vulnerable to weaknesses when it comes to alcohol. So the expression of the Chazal is, You tell the Nazir, take a long route. Don't walk on the street where the tavern is. Don't walk on the street where the bar is. Don't walk on the street where the, the store that sells alcohol is. Stay away from it. Be weary. Don't say to yourself, well, I can walk right by and not walk in. That Talmudic illusion is the same as this concept of if you're vulnerable to a certain thing, stay away from it. Don't trust yourself. So those are the two sides of this Pasuk. I don't sit and hate myself, but on my peripheral vision, it's always there. Now there's something else. This is fantastic. This is a Torah from the Mezitra Magid, based on a Chazal. Right? It says in Chazal that, I think it's a Gemara, but I'm not sure, that which means a person shouldn't say I don't want to eat non-kosher I don't want to eat uh, pork he should say I desire it, I want it but God doesn't let me have it that's what the Gemara says the, the principle behind this is the idea of walk in the middle you know no one ever said you shouldn't lust you should shouldn't engage so on this chazal there's a title from the mezitra magid that's chasidus which is brought by the rabbeim repeatedly and the title is this idea that a person should say i would like i desire but god doesn't let me is only for somebody who's never tasted it someone who's indulged in a prohibited pleasure has to say EF, she has to say I hate it. Someone who's eaten that kosher cannot say I desire it, but God doesn't allow it. Almost someone who's never tasted it. And this also speaks to a similar principle which is associated with addiction. If I have weaknesses from my past, if I've indulged, if I have become vulnerable and indulged in a temptation, an area of lust which has taken me over, and even after I master it, I should never say I want it, but I'm not allowed to have it. I should never trust myself. I should always say, I hate it. And the, I hate it almost has to be said in the kind of way where you're convincing yourself that you hate it. Because this is a protection. It's a shmita against falling back into the trap of that weakness. And I believe that these two ideas, the Vechatasi Negdi Samad idea, compounded by the Torah of the Mezitra Magid, that the Balchuvah say Yevshi, speaks very closely to the principle of the 12-step program that once an addict always an addict never trust yourself you always need support you always need help outside of yourself and of course the most basic part of the 12-step program is i need a higher power i need god to help me deal with it i need the humility the humility to admit to myself that i'm helpless against my addiction in order to deal with it all of these ideas i think are very similar to these concepts which are found in Hasidus. Meaning to say that there's a similarity between tshuva and dealing with, the 12, with, with addiction. Tshuva means not I feel bad that I sinned. Tshuva means I won't do it anymore. And tshuva is a very practical exercise. The measure of tshuva is not how hard I try and how much I mean it, but how much success I have. If a person does tshuva and sins five minutes later, that's a five minute tshuva. 
if a person did uh, a, a haphazard tshuva without a lot of emotion, without a lot of thought, and never repeats the sin, that's effective and successful tshuva. And much of tshuva, what we call classically the lower tshuva, is preventative. It's protecting myself from falling back into that space. That's the principle of Echatas and Samad. I always keep my sin in the back of my mind. I never trust myself. And I say, Efshi, I hate, I hate the areas in my life where I became weak, I became vulnerable, where I failed. And I don't trust myself in those areas. I believe that there is a lot of similarity between the philosophy of the 12-step program and this concept of tshuva. Now, I am not a rov, and I'm also not a very big Talmud Chochem, but I have heard that people have objected to the way we define addiction clinically, because the premise of addiction is that I've lost control. And of course, one of our core beliefs, which the Raman discusses at the beginning of the fifth chapter of the laws of tshuva, is free will. The Ramam goes as far as to say that a person can be as big a Rosha as Bilam a Rosha and can become as great a Tzaddik as Avram Avinu. And nothing stops a person from choosing whatever path they wish. And there's an argument being made that the 12-step program tells you that you have no self-control, which means you don't have free will anymore in that area. I don't agree with it. And I'll tell you why. Because a person who's an addict who chooses to join the 12-step program and to get the support that he needs is exercising the free will not to sin again. But the free will involves the recognition that I need help from outside of myself. If he had no free will, nobody would be able to help. So when a person says I'm helpless against my addiction, what he's really saying is I'm helpless against my addiction by myself. Now there is always the idea of tshuva law, tshuva miyava. There's always the idea where a person could be in the worst condition and that something will trigger in their life that will make them have a, uh, an epiphany, a moment which will change them completely where they're literally a new person and they're completely redeemed of their earlier self and they become a new self, um, which is what we call the higher tshuva ultimate tshuva and an argument that could be made that to a great extent they regain self-control even when it comes to those areas. In other words, it is true that sometimes, that always, there is a level where you have free will, where you can help yourself by yourself without the support from people outside of yourself, but that's an extraordinary level of tshuva. On a basic level of tshuva, the idea that I get somebody to help me do tshuva, gain control of my addiction, is absolutely an exercise in free will. That's just how I see it. Uh, that's just how I understand it. I just want to say in conclusion that people who have experienced this understand the meaning of the word Mitzrayim and understand the meaning of the word Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. They understand the, the meaning of the word of being a prisoner and they understand the meaning of the word of going out of prison. Being, in, being so addicted, being so enslaved to something, whether it's drugs or it's gambling or some other thing, the phone, um, that you have this, you know, this ability to give yourself instantaneous pleasure. 
and it literally stops you from living your life, from, from regaining your focus, from being meaningful as a human being, is incredibly depressing. The pleasure keeps you stuck there, but it's incredibly depressing. The idea that you can rid yourself of this, and people do it all the time, and gain freedom is literally an experience of exodus. And when you learn Hasidus, you know, you know, this is why we mention the Exodus every day in Davening, in Krishman, in Vayoymer, in Emes Vyatsev, in Emes Vemuna. Because the notion of being a slave and becoming free is something that we deal with all the time. And we want to be free, which means we want to have control over ourselves. I've said this uh, on other occasions that the definition of freedom is the ability to tell yourself to do anything and be able to do it 100% of the time. The definition of freedom is the ability to tell yourself not to do something and be able to listen and not do it 100% of the time. If I command myself to do something and 10% of the time I don't do it, or I command myself to refrain from a certain behavior and 10% of the time I don't listen, I'm a 10% slave. And the exercise of tshuva, this idea of which I find to be quite similar to some of the philosophy of the 12-step program is very consistent um, with this process of Yitzhak time. What's important for people to know is they could free themselves and they should free themselves, but it requires humility, it requires seeking help, um, and it requires embracing the challenges that you have, not just accepting them, but embracing them. People who have gone through this process will tell you that the greatest broche in their life, the greatest blessing in their life, are the challenges and the emancipation, the freedom that it gave them.